That last Cardinals game was a bummer, so I decided to see what the fans wanted to hear about. Coming up on B-Shape Daily. What's going on, everybody, and welcome in to this edition of B-Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you. Early afternoon hours of Tuesday, August 22nd, 2023. Look, no B-Shape Daily last night. Various circumstances. Did y'all know that babies, like 11 to 12 months, they like don't sleep? It's so weird. So weird how that works out. But anyway, I put the tweet out last night because after the Cardinals' latest just really frustrating and depressing outing, the loss to the Pirates on Monday, I said, I can't just do a podcast about this game. Nobody wants to hear about this game. We'll talk about Drew Rom. Like, we could talk about his debut and didn't go well, obviously, but... We could talk about some of the aspects, but I just, I put it out to Twitter and said, what do you guys want to hear about instead of something to do with this game? And I got a lot of good responses. I'm just going to go through the responses to the tweet on this episode of B-Shape Daily. Cardinal stuff, it's still going to be all Cardinal stuff, but I just couldn't go, well, here's the breakdown of an 11-2 loss. I don't even know what the final score was. I think it was 11-2. At any rate, that's what this episode's going to be. If you enjoy Cardinal's content, you're in the right place. Click subscribe to this video or this channel on YouTube, click like on the video and drop your comments below with anything and everything that we talk about. Let me hear your impressions of what's going on with this team. We can look to 2024 like that's a lot of what we're doing at this point in the calendar, just waiting for this season to be over. Wake me up when September ends, seriously, because that's how the 2023 season is shaping up for the Cardinals. But it's like we can talk about 2024 so much. It's just hard because it's not here yet. And there's a lot of uncertainty. So we spend our time looking at 2023 and in each game trying to be like, okay, here's something that happened. Does this have any impact on 2024? And a lot of times the answer is probably just like, no, we really are just waiting for September to, to be over and to have this season done with. But I still feel like there's a lot of stuff that we can dig into. And so that's what we're going to do here. And it's not always up for me to decide. Today, it's up for you to decide. So I'm going to really scroll through my, t- my tweet, I, here's what I put. Nobody cares to hear about this game. I'm serious. Nobody wants to hear about this team. This game, this is another level of bad. So I said, open forum. Tell me what topic regarding the Cardinals you'd actually wake up and bother listening to on Tuesday. I need inspiration, and this ain't it. Unfortunately, you're going to hear this a little bit closer to midday, mid-afternoon than Tuesday morning. Apologies for that. But we're getting the episode done, nevertheless. And I'm just going to roll right through. So... If you like Cardinals content, like I said, subscribe. You can also subscribe to the podcast, B-Shape Daily, on Spotify or Apple Podcasts as well. And I know it's kind of bleak times right now. Appreciate those who are still listening on a regular basis. I can understand. A lot of people have reached out to me and said, look, love your stuff. I can't listen to the Cardinals right now. I can't watch this team. I can't hear people talk about this team. I'm like, yeah, I get it. That's kind of an occupational hazard on my end at this point. Um, which is why I've also been kind of diving into fantasy football stuff. So if you like that kind of content, subscribe to that YouTube channel of mine as well. Honestly, even if you don't like that kind of content, but you think I'm okay, it would really help me because I got to get that thing to a thousand subscribers before I can make any money off of that channel. And even if you never watch a video, if you subscribe youtube.com slash B Schaefer FFB, the link is also in my uh, main baseball channel on YouTube. If you scroll down to uh, a little bit below the top of the page, that would really help out. Brendan Schaefer, Fantasy Football. But yeah, I'm just trying to do whatever I can right now to uh, to pass the time. I think just the way Cardinals fans are, 
until the end of this season. It's going to get interesting in the offseason, though it really is. It has to. Otherwise, it's going to get really, really bleak for a long period of time in Cardinals land. But let's go ahead and just jump in. I may not agree with all the fan comments. I may agree with some of them. I'm just going to read them. I haven't read all of these yet, but I'm going to scroll down, and we're going to let this happen naturally today. So let's go ahead and get into it. Start us off, Ryan. He says, I'll be honest, Shafe. Maybe the change in Ollie's demeanor on the postgame interviews. He doesn't have that, some say confidence, others say cockiness anymore. Do you feel like he's kind of given up too this year? Uh, maybe he's looser now, no more pressure. I think the entire Cardinals team has that no more pressure attitude. And it's all, it's like disappointing because Cardinals fans want to, if they're going to tune in every day, and if they're going to devote their money and their time to this product, they want to see that effort, right? And it's not that they don't, again, I got to be careful with this because, and, and Ollie Marmel would push back on this as well. And I, I think fans take it a little bit too far to say, oh, they don't care. Oh, they've given up. Like to make it to this level, as a professional athlete, you have to be a different level of competitive. It's a it's a level of competitiveness that average Joes like me, maybe you're one out there as well, unless you're a professional athlete or a, a elite professional in some other arena. We don't necessarily understand what it takes on that level to be able to get to where these guys are. So I can respect that. But at the same time, you also can kind of see what you're seeing in the product on a day-to-day basis. It's like they're getting clapped a lot. And it's happening. You know, the Mets did it to them. That's a bad team. The Pirates are doing it to them now, at least in the first game. It's a bad team. So it's like disappointing. And, and so it's natural for fans to be asking these questions. As far as Ollie, I think it's applicable to Ollie and everybody else. It's almost, even though it's disappointing, it's almost healthier to have this mindset that like, okay, the pressure to have to win and have to make the playoffs is off now because it's it's not only not realistic, like it's it's impossible. It's borderline impossible. I don't know how many games back they are. It doesn't really matter. But if you treated every day between now and the end of the season like like with the same level of angst that you had, and this is true for the players, for the fans, and I think for the manager as well. If you if you treated it with that angst of like oh, man, things aren't going well. We really got to kick it into gear soon or it's going to be, you know, Armageddon, which like the Cardinals version of Armageddon is not making the playoffs. And that's going to happen. Armageddon will be here. But we've all kind of already accepted that it is here, right? So I think it's healthier to have that mentality of like, okay, it didn't happen this year. We can we can go through the process of grief, you know, the five stages. We can mentally catalog that and go, let's mourn for it now. Because nobody's going to be mourning for it on September 30th or whatever. It's like, by then, it's old news. We know it didn't happen this year. And that's kind of the way it feels right now for this team. Which, do you lose a little bit of a competitive edge day-to-day because of that? I think so. Like, I don't know if Ollie would agree with that. Because he really does push that idea of competitiveness. These guys are killers on a different level than we can understand. And I can respect that for sure. But human nature, too. I think you do lose a little bit of that edge on a day-to-day. And it probably makes you lose more games. I mean, when you look at Jordan Montgomery pitching for the Texas Rangers the way he is, he's got like a 1.6 ERA since the trade. That guy was on the Cardinals, right? That was their best pitcher, and they traded him away. They don't do that if they're trying to win this year. So that organizationally, yeah, it's less pressure. You're looser because have, have they given up? Yeah, I mean, they've, they've given up on the idea that they're going to make the playoffs. They're still going out there every day and trying to win. I believe that. But realistically, like, it's not going to turn into anything. There And I replied to Ryan's comment on Twitter. So there's no pressure on anyone. They waved the flag. It's just getting it over with now. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. 
because I don't know what else Ollie is supposed to do or the players or even the fans are supposed to do. If you as a fan went into every game and you were just as stunned and shocked and amazed and disappointed and dejected by an 11-2 to loss as you would have been in, in April, May, June, well, eventually you're going to, I mean, mental health, you're going to lose your mind. It was 11-1. to I just looked up the score. I've been saying 11-2. to You're going to lose your mind eventually. So you just can't stay in that headspace when reality tells you, hey, this ain't the year. So, yeah, I think I think you can sense there was like a weight to the clubhouse for several months when it was like nobody had accepted that it was over. And and you everybody was like, all right, it's the Cardinals. You got to get this thing kicked into gear. And they usually do. So there was a lot of pressure on everybody to make that happen. And I don't think the Cardinals responded well to that internal pressure this year because they didn't ever find that charge. And then once it was clear that it was like, all right, the charge isn't coming, everybody could kind of like, Exhale a little bit and go, all right, it's disappointing, but I we can't go into every single day like it's life or death because you can't it's just hard to stay on that level. Even for these elite competitors, I just don't think realistically like, you know, there came a point where Arnado said, I gotta stop looking at the standings every day because it's consuming me. And that's not going to feed into good performance. So I do think there's like a mental you know, a mental aspect to that. And their their confidence just wasn't there. And now it's a point where like there isn't pressure in the way that there was. Because you, we've already all kind of mourned for the season that it's not going to be the way that we're used to seeing it in St. Louis. So, yeah, it's a great question, Ryan, and I think that's kind of the best way I can describe it. I hope what I'm saying about that makes sense. I'm not trying to rip the fans for, you know, being disappointed in that, not trying to rip the Cardinals and the people involved for the fact that that's kind of the way we're seeing it play out because I think to a, to an extent it just has to be that way. Because, again, you're you're – you're not living in reality if you're like going into every game and it's 11 to 1 and you're just, you know, it, we're past the point of we're going to flip over a table over this, right? And that sucks. I'm not saying it's I'm not saying it should be considered okay. Fans don't think it's okay. Look at the the attendance right now. Which of course, Bush Stadium was an oven on Sunday, so like that's part of it too. My gosh, it was hot. It was hot and it was like Dakota Hudson was pitching and it was like 2022 all over again because there might as well have not been a pitch clock with it. It was like a three-hour game still. Man, we're spoiled, though. <laughs> in 2023, we're spoiled because that was like, wow, it's three hours, and I don't know what the official game time was, three hours, 310, but it was as though it was the longest game I've ever seen. We were up in the press box when the when Buck Showalter is, like, challenging a play. Like, get it over with. Nobody cares. Like, just get us out of here. Anyway. All right. Thanks for the question, Ryan. Let's move on to uh, to Tweedos. Tweedo Tito. He says, did the Cardinals sacrifice their devil magic so City could fly? And I think maybe there's some uh, some reality to that. STL City, I think, is in like first place. I tell you, I'm the wrong guy. You won't ever be catching me doing a City podcast unless I'm like the, the comedic relief sidekick for the person who really knows what they're talking about when it comes to soccer because I don't watch these games. I'm being honest with you. Uh, maybe in the future, I'd like to get into it, but it just hasn't happened for me this year. A lot going on. So I got to prioritize. But I said, uh, I responded to Tito and said, great, of all things in the world, you're going to make me discuss soccer. Awesome. But anyway, no no hate on STL City. I'll be like I'll be like that bandwagon fan if there's like a playoffs. I think there's a playoffs in MLS. And I'll be like, all right, go City. Yeah, everybody, let's see it. But I haven't watched a game since like the second game. Anyway, and that's no slight on them. It's awesome. I love what they're doing in St. Louis. It's good for the city. I just, I'm re- I really try, but I have just only so much space for the different 
entertainment that I consume, and I haven't been able to get into soccer yet. You'd think I would. I mean, if ever if ever it was going to happen, it would be what that team is doing. But I guess what I would say is I need to get to a game and experience the environment because that would get me get me hooked. I know it's a great environment at City Park. Okay, Annie asks, where is the most drastic change needed on the field or in the front office? And then she says, report on each remaining day of the season based on the corresponding day in 2011. You'll have my full attention. Yeah, I can't. We've that's been done. That the, that was kind of the deal in co- with COVID, right? Um, it was like, hey, there's no baseball going on. Everybody expects baseball. Let's go through and pretend it's like August, late August, 2011, and talk about that. It's kind of a bummer, isn't it? That 12 years later, that's still what we're yearning for. Is like, oh, I remember 2011. That was cool. And maybe that's you're spoiled as a fan base, right? Because like that was still something really cool that most MLB fan bases never get to experience what the Cardinals had going in 2011. But the fact that we're like, eh, it's been 12 years. Like I started covering the Cardinals in 2016. I was a Cardinals fan before that. I was a senior in high school, the David Freeze year, 2011. And, you know, that was awesome. That was a great memory for me. But it's interesting to think that like, since I've shifted from like Cardinals fandom to now like Cardinals as a profession, the covering, writing, talking about the Cardinals for my job, and for my livelihood, it, that's been seven years, which means I'm getting older. But nevertheless, it's like, well, they haven't really had that kind of marquee moment since I started doing this. So what what fans yearn for is the stuff that happened when I was still a Cardinals fan back in high school. Just kind of interesting. But Andy's question as to what changes needed more, the change on the field or in the front office, I think it's on the field. I, I think, and I know people are maybe not going to love that answer because they want me to rip Mo, which like Mo did a bad job this year setting up the St. Louis Cardinals like that. I'm not hiding from that. We all know that the pitching just wasn't what it needed to be. And for as much as I think they have a good core offensively, there are pieces that it's just not the puzzle still doesn't fit quite together the right way for all the talent that they have. I think they just need it sh- shaken up a little bit. I don't know what that means. It might be the kind of trade that we look at on the day it's happened and we go, oh, that's a bad deal. But then what do we know about the clubhouse dynamic it brings? Or what do we know? Like the the little intangibles that we don't necessarily see on the surface when those deals happen. They need a bold trade like that in the offseason because they're scoring runs, but not as many as some other teams. The names on paper, good players, but they've got to, it just doesn't all fit. Does that make sense? It's, It's kind of a very obscure way to talk about it because there's, I don't think it's, concrete in the way that we can point to what it is exactly and say, this is why they're a good, but not great offense. And right now I don't overlook, I don't look too much into there's going one run, two runs. Like it does matter. They should be able to put more runs up, but yeah, like the season's kind of over and it'll help their draft pick if they keep losing. So I'm not going to look at anything that happens between now and the end of the season and get all undone because they're losing more games. Because I think the moment to get undone about that was August 1st. But when they traded Montgomery and Flaherty, I know they didn't trade away from their offense, right? DeYoung, but he's since been DFA'd by Toronto. So they didn't get worse offensively on the on the trade deadline day. They got worse in their pitching staff, which was already a big detriment for this team. But it's like, I you can't get angsty about it now. It's like you knew what was going to happen when they traded 40%, arguably the top 40% of their rotation, they're getting worse. And they have gotten worse. And it seems to have put the spirits of the offense down as well. That they're just not 
grinding it out the same way, at least results-wise. I guess you'd really have to watch day-to-day and know, all right, I'm still seeing the the good ABs. But, like, you know, I – and it's – again, I'm not ripping them to say this, but it doesn't look like they're just balls to the wall, grinding it out every day offensively, running the bases, those things. And that's, you know, there comes a point where it is what it is. Life's too short to have the level of angst about that six straight months. Next year, different story. Like, you you, you can call for heads if they don't fix it this offseason. Totally think that's correct. But I think the front office – after a huge blunder this spring, or even going back to the previous offseason and then into the spring, and then during the season, like they just didn't put together the team that, that this needed to be in St. Louis. Then they got to the, the July portion and the pre-trade deadline period, and they said, all right, we know we, we messed up. We're going to start with stage one of fixing it, which is trading away the short-term contracts, and they got rid of all of them. And they got value, I think, for... Most of them. You know, Drew Rahm, eight runs yesterday, didn't didn't miss bats the way we hoped that he would based on what he had done in Memphis. Did they kind of rush him to the big leagues? Yeah. Was it kind of out of necessity? Yeah. Is it going to ruin him? No, I don't think so. I don't think he gets another start, right? He probably, probably optioned to, back to Memphis before you hear the end of this podcast. But, like, they got the best they could get, I think, at the deadline for the players that they gave up and for the contracts that they gave up. And so that was step one. I'm going to extend the latitude to the front office to aggressively fix it the rest of the way this offseason. November, December, I'll be on them. I'll be writing about it. I'll be talking about it. Others will be as well. It's like, okay, you've built up some equity, John Mozeliak, and and I want to respect that and I want to appreciate that. So I'm going to. Others may take a more bombastic and angry stance on that and say no fire mo now because this 23 season was unacceptable totally fine if that's the way you feel if you're a fan and feels that way if you're radio host and feels that way that's totally fine everybody's entitled to their own kind of viewpoint i'm going to take i'm going to take a half a step back and go let me see it this offseason i need to see it from mosaic i need to see it from dewitt because mo is the one that can can orchestrate this thing but dewitt's got to open up the purse strings a little bit more they can they can tout how they raised payroll and that was the whole thing in in over the winter. Well, the payroll went up. Okay, what's the payroll now? I mean, you traded away those some of those contracts. Montgomery and Flaherty were getting paid. DeYoung. It barely went up, right? That's the deal with the payroll. It barely went up, and in terms of relative to the rest of the league, it went down. I think they're more like 16th in MLB in payroll this year instead of in that top third, or even in that top 12 to 14 range. Like they. Relative to their peers, they don't they're not spending as much. They have to vault back into the top ten and they have to be correct with the money that they dole out. They can't just, you know, well, we spent, we tried. No, I mean part of your job as the executive is to convince ownership, here's what we need to spend, and then here's how I can spend that money effectively and then do it. That's most job. There's no any more of, well, our guy got hurt. Oh bummer. Nope, he just has to be right. That's that's the job. He's got to be right this offseason. Bill DeWitt has got to give him the latitude to spend like he needs to. He's got to be right with who he buys. He's got to be right with the trades he makes and set this thing up for an immediate vault back into contention in 2024. Short of that, yeah, I don't think Mo needs to finish his contract as the as the Pobo after 2024. DeWitt is insistent that he will finish out his contract. I still maintain that 
Had the season gone according to plan, you would have seen a scale back of Mosellock's role throughout the remainder of that contract. Now I don't know exactly if it's going to go that way because it may be like, okay, to save my legacy, I have to fix this and I have to be more hands-on than I otherwise would have been. We'll kind of see what that looks like. But Annie asked about, you know, changes on the field. Yes, need that. Change in the front office. Here's what I'll say. The Cardinals have just not operated under Bill DeWitt in a way that's like, we're going to go external to fill this humongous, you know, leadership role. I still look at Randy Flores and Mike Gersh as the top candidates for replacing Mo, which will happen no sooner than heading into the 2026 season. Mo's contract goes through 2025, and that's going to be it. I fully believe that. He basically hinted as much in February, and now it's maybe that does it change because of the, the struggles. I don't know. I would, I would say probably not. But that's kind of the way I'm looking at it is, yeah, you know, change in the front office could just mean reorganizing with the folks that are already in that front office. And I think largely they have the talent in that room to improve this thing. And I think Mosellac can be a part of that, but it's, it's put up or shut up time. You kind of, you know, you, you build up all this equity and then you blow it on something like a 2023 season that has been terrible. It's like, okay, you, you know, we'll give you this one because you've earned it, but you don't have enough equity. Nobody does to have two of these in a row, not in St. Louis. So we'll see what Mo's able to do and what his, his group is able to do. But I also think an important part of that is going to be, can they have ownership backing to spend like they need to spend to be able to get back to where they need to be? All right, before I hop back into the Twitter thread for more of your questions, I want to take a quick moment, ask you to subscribe to this channel if you like Cardinals content. Click subscribe on YouTube, click like on this video, drop your comments below so we can hear your thoughts on everything going on with the Cardinals. All right, some more questions. Agenda Man asks, Takoa Roby's upside, I would say it's high, and Takoa Roby, the, uh, one of the, the prospects that the Cardinals got at the deadline, believe he came in the, was that the Flaherty deal? I can't even find his stuff there. No, that was the uh, Montgomery deal because, yeah, he was drafted by the Rangers. So that was the Montgomery deal. He's got upside, has had some injury stuff going on, but Mo had said back on August 1st when they made those deals that they were looking to that they were looking to have him pitch again this season in the minors. And, I, and it looks like that's going to happen. One of those guys with high upside because of strikeouts. 2022, he had 126 Ks in 104 innings at high A, and this year at double A, 50 strikeouts in 46 innings, but was dealing with injuries, and so I think he can be even better than that. Just 21 years old. Uh, turns 22 next month, but another upside guy. So, yeah, he's in that bucket, agenda man. He's in that bucket of guys with some some real upside. And I think probably maybe the most upside of anybody the Cardinals got at this deadline. Zach Showalter is another name that I'll mention. He's a little bit lower in the, the minor league pecking order. But I think he's got he's got some tremendous upside as well. But I notice now he's on the IL in the minors, so I don't know exactly what's going on with him. He uh he's he pitched one time for the Cardinals since that trade at low A, it looks like. Just one inning. It was scoreless, but then he's been on the IL. I don't know hundred percent what's up with that. But show Walter and Roby, two upside guys if they can if they can get the health part right. Agenda Man also asked about my preferred rotation targets this offseason. I'm this will be something we talk about a ton. I'll mention it briefly here though, because I was asked. I want one I want to see them go after one of the guys from Japan, at least one of the guys. Imanaga and Yamamoto are the two. And I don't know what they'll 
what they'll get. I know there's going to be a posting fee. You, you know, it's going to be pricey. But the beauty of that is if you sign one of those guys to fill one of your, you know, whether it's your ace or your number two, I, I'd hate to say, yeah, this guy who's never been in MLB, he's going to be your number one. That's a little bit sketch. But the idea that you can do that and not give up that second round draft pick again, like they did for Contreras, like this year the Cardinals did not have a second rounder because of signing a guy who turned down the qualifying offer. The Cubs got that pick. So you would like to find a way to keep that pick, but it may not be realistic with the number of guys the Cardinals have to sign this offseason. Aaron Nola is interesting. It's all going to be cost-dependent. You know, he's already over 30 years old, hasn't pitched that well this year, but the underlying metrics say otherwise. So get him in front of the Cardinal defense that hopefully will be a strength again. I think Aaron Nola is a reasonable target. I worry about a little bit a guy like Blake Snell. Blake Snell is one of the top performers of impending free agents, but that means you're going to pay the premium, right, to get him. Julio Urias, not performing as well, but just like Snell, injury history. I think Nola is the one that you maybe feel the best about when it comes to arm injuries and, and just being a workhorse, but you can't predict that kind of stuff sometimes. Pitchers inherently get hurt, so... Those are some of the names. We'll talk more about it, though, I promise you, as time goes along. And one more from Agenda Man. Keep or trade Goldie, O'Neill, and Carlson. Uh, you trade O'Neal or, and or Carlson if the price is right. I think it's fine to do it either way because in Carlson's case, you know, he's it he may have ankle surgery to end this season. It's just been injury after injury with him. May need a fresh start. I love Dylan Carlson, guys. I, I, I have his back, but... You know, the performance hasn't been what you'd hoped. I would worry a little bit that you're trading him at his lowest value, but if he never regains value, then it's... I just think he's going to need a a fresh runway to play every day in order to see a team get the most out of him, and I don't think the Cardinals are prepared to provide that for Dylan, so wouldn't be surprised to see him moved. He's got years of control. O'Neal, just one year left, so that's going to depend on how the Cardinals want to handle that outfield spot. If you you could trade them both and sign somebody or trade for an outfielder to fill that spot, I wouldn't have an issue with that because I've said you need bold moves. And if you have any inkling in your mind that the answer isn't O'Neill or Carlson for one of those outfield spots, then you just say, screw it. We're going to, you know, even if we don't get max value in trades for either guy, we'll, we'll ship them out and we'll find somebody that we really believe in because you've got to be right heading into 2024 about all of these things. You've got to be right to get the Cardinals back on track. So I either way on that, I could see the Goldsmith one is tricky. I'm going to say no, you don't trade him. And that's pretty definitive. But I also don't know if you can extend him in February. Like, that's kind of what I thought would happen. He's going to sign that offseason extension. How many more years do you want to play? You're a Cardinal for the rest of the way. Let's get it done. Like the Matt Carpenter deal, right? They, they extended Matt Carpenter a year before they really had to. But because he was a, le- a legacy guy, the way Bill DeWitt saw it, Carpenter was a legacy guy with the Cardinals. They didn't want to have him go in as like a lame duck player where, hey, if you don't perform this last year, you're, you know, you're you're out. No new contract. Like, it's just business-wise, it doesn't make as much sense. But when you take the personal side into it, you do have to account for that sometimes. And so they extended Carpenter, and then the, the drop-off came, and it was a really bad contract. People worry that Goldsmith could be the same way. I could see Goldsmith having a decline phase. I could. I mean, age, you know, age is what it is. Father time undefeated. He's going to be 36 next month, Paul Goldschmidt. But I also think Paul Goldschmidt will age gracefully. I have maintained that. Now his year this year is down compared to what he's been, but he's still got an 816 OPS, which is only five points lower than his first season in St. Louis in 2019. 
So I think Goldsmith can be an elite caliber defender and an 800 plus OPS guy for the next couple of years. But is it a three year extension that he'll want? Is it just adding on one extra year after 2024? Is it two? I don't know. And I think that's going to kind of be the question. But I wouldn't trade him because I do believe that there is value to having a player like Paul Goldsmith on your team. He's still one of their best players, even at his age. And I also don't think it's as simple as, well, Jordan Walker can't play outfield, move him to first base. He might not be able to play first base either. So I think people are trying to find a creative way to solve that Jordan Walker problem, when in reality, they people just need to be a little more patient and let that play out. Time will tell if he can or cannot handle it in the outfield. And then we'll see what the bat looks like as well as Jordan Walker continues to develop. But no, I'm personally not trading away any of those guys. I, mean, I shouldn't say any of those guys. Not trading Goldsmith. O'Neill Carlson, you definitely listen on and maybe actively shop, depending on what the market is like for those players. All right, moving back into the thread here. Why are they not taking an extended look at Zuniga? This is from Casey. Who else should be getting a worry-free audition? I feel like the Zuniga thing, he went down for Drew Rom, which means now he'll it'll be a couple weeks before he can be recalled unless there's an injury. And maybe they know somebody. I don't know. I don't know the exact answer for how they're going to get him back. I think they'll they'll have Zuniga back as soon as he can be back, more likely than not. But because the Libertors thing needed a couple of extra days, they needed Drew Rom for Monday, and somebody had to go out. And Zuniga is a guy that has upside. They signed him to the 40-man roster before this season, thinking he would be part of the bullpen depth, and just didn't really perform, didn't perform at Memphis, and so they've not given him an extended look. I think the, the other side of that, though, is the Cardinals just need innings. They need to get through the season. It's nice to be able to get a look at people, but you also have to like finish every game. And that's a very low bar, but the Cardinals are having a hard time clearing it right now. And so what did they need? They needed Casey Lawrence to go out and wear it yesterday for four and a third, which he struck out five, gave up three earned runs, eight hits. Like He just had to go out and wear it the rest of the game. And that's what they need. So, like, that's why Casey Lawrence over Zuniga, because Zuniga's not going to give him five innings on the fly if they need it, because you don't want to, like, not to be dismissive of Casey Lawrence's future in the big leagues, but if he if his arm gets hurt throwing five innings of mop-up because he got overused, um, you know, it's not the same as if somebody that you had plans for next year. And Casey Lawrence, like, it sounds harsh, but Casey Lawrence probably doesn't mind it because he goes, I have a chance to prove myself and stick around. Maybe I get a job next year because people can see the value in what I bring to the table. So that's the way the world spins around, but that's why no, no Zuniga right now. They need to option somebody, and they can't option the guys that can give them five innings because you don't ever know when a starter is going to flame out. That's been the, the story of the season for the Cardinals. Um, Brendan asked if we're getting closer and closer to full teardown territory, and this was one that I, I quote tweeted him and responded to yesterday. But I'll, I'll read my response here. I said, not at all are, are the Cardinals getting closer and closer to full-down territory. Nothing that happens the rest of the year matters. And then I said, okay, there's a couple of things that matter, but it doesn't change the overall trajectory of 2024. Like, you can't evaluate how many games they win or lose the rest of the way and go, oh, now they really should trade Goldsmith. No. We knew they would look worse after they traded the guys they traded at the deadline. I don't think anything here has an impact. It, it, it's nothing that a good offseason cannot fix. They could lose every game the rest of the year. That doesn't really change things. What could change things is certain guys getting hurt, certain guys individually showing they're better than we thought or worse than we thought, and that can kind of color how they're used going into next year. 
But other than that, like from a team-wide perspective, no, nothing that can happen changes. 2024, that's my opinion. Kelsey said, we'd love to hear your thoughts on how you think the recent injuries could affect the offseason trades as well as who you'd like to see targeted in the offseason for starting rotation versus who I think is more realistically targeted. So we talked a little bit about the rotation stuff already. I think it is realistic to target the guys from Japan. Uh, Imanaga, Shota Imanaga and Yoshi Yamamoto are the two most prominent Japanese pitchers. I believe they were both on the World Baseball Classic team, so Lars can be a uh, the welcoming committee if they can bring in one of those guys. That would be the way I would go about it. I mentioned the reasoning behind it. I, I think they're both good pitchers, for one. Like I think both have ERAs below two. And uh, I think both can get strikeouts at a pretty decent rate. But the other part of it is, like, you you need to be a little creative and trying to keep that second-round pick in the bonus pool associated because they gave up, like, 500000 money they could have spent on trying to maybe target different guys in the draft and say, hey, we can pay you more if you sign with us instead of going to college. Like, they didn't have the luxury of the extra funds, so that impacts who you can target. The, the high-upside kids that... You know, people are a little bit afraid because they don't think they can sign him. You might be able to take another shot on a guy like that and say, hey, we got more money to throw at you as a result of the extra bonus pool. So that limits you as well. But that's why I think realistic and in terms of like who I would target and who I think is realistic to target, it's the guys from Japan. Beyond that, like Nola is realistic, but we also don't know like, does Nola want to be a Cardinal? Do people want to sign with this team after what they're seeing this year? I don't know. That's something the Cardinals will have to battle and win, right? They have to win the hearts and minds of free agents that they're trying to attract. And that's not ever been a strong suit. They've been able to sign or or get the guys to agree to stay that already wanted to be here anyway. Contreras, Arnado, Goldschmidt. But just like general big free agents, it's been a challenge going all the way back to, I mean, you, you Stanton didn't want to come here, right? Even before that, They thought they had David Price, and he ended up, you know, that's kind of been the story. And now you're in a bad season. Can the Cardinal way mystique of it all attract people? No, I think money. Money will attract people. So to answer Kelsey's question, the targets are all realistic as long as DeWitt is going to spend. The only one that's unrealistic is Otani. Anyone else you can realistically see them go and get, it'll have to be the biggest free agent contract they've ever given out. I think it'll have to be... Nine digits, hundred million or more, but it's kind of what they need to do at this point. And they need to make sure they pick correct on the guy they give that contract to because it's got to be correct and it's got to be the guy that doesn't get hurt, which is a hard thing to guarantee. You cannot guarantee that, but you got to do your due diligence and hope it pans out because it's an important one. And they need more than one starter, but they need one anchor starter in that rotation for sure. A lot of questions that are kind of of the similar vein. I'll read this one from John. He says, I know, here's what I've been toying with. I know it's just fantasy, not going to happen, but realistically, what gives them the better chance of being good soon? Cleaning house in the front office minus Randy Flores or letting this group be the one that tries to fix it through free agency and trades? I think it's letting this group try to fix it this offseason. And there can be no, well, we kind of did a half measure and we'll fix it even more next year in July. Like you have to do it all this winter and then we'll, like you have to win the offseason, but in a way that's tangible this time around. Last year, they won the offseason because they got Contreras and they said, we need a catcher and, they, and we got one, but it's like they didn't do anything else. They won the press conference with that, but it didn't actually make them enough better. This time they have to do it and all the people who are really smart have to agree with it. You know, like we have to, 
we have to see it and then be able to project that it's going to be different, and then it has to actually be different. But I still feel like that's the, the quickest way to make it happen is one last ride. Moselock, fix your mess if you if you can. And if you can't, then yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be the house cleaning. Maybe not in the way of like the firing that everybody's looking for, but time is going to usher Moselock out and they'll have to to start from scratch a little bit, and that won't be fun. They do have a lot of good young position players, so I think it's gonna be hard to be this bad again if they make a, a true effort at fixing the pitching, but I, I guess I shouldn't I should never say never because I didn't expect it to be this way this year either. Uh Scott wanted to talk about Andrew Kisner. He's been raking and catching. And he said, let's talk about how this absolutely exposes how poorly the front office can't evaluate their own guys. Um and then he said an episode on how scared Mo is of trading an outfielder because they know they can't evaluate yeah, I mean, the, knowing which outfielder to trade and get, get value for has been a challenge. So that's, I think it definitely relates to the issues they've had of the Rosarena and Adelis Garcia and all that. We kind of already know the stories with all those guys. But yeah, I think it's made them a little bit gun shy of like when that when you pull the trigger on that move, you've got to have like a, a little bit of swagger and confidence that you're making a good deal. And that's a hard thing to have when you've when you've had so many kind of missteps along the way. But Andrew Kisner it definitely does highlight the Cardinals' inability to see what they had in a guy. Now, part of it is he didn't really play this well until this year, but the other side of that would be he didn't have much of a chance to. Last year was the one where it was like, look, you got half a year of plate appearances, 290, and he had a 601 OPS. So I think in not seeing it there, they decided that they knew who Andrew Kisner was. But like I... You could go back to the offseason. I talked about being a little bit surprised that the Cardinals weren't giving him more due. And I've always been, you know, again, I think that the audio, if you went back and listened, would back it up, what I'm about to say. But I've always been kind of Team Kisner and thinking the Cardinals need to give him more of a shot. And now you're seeing what more of a shot looks like, right? He's not even playing more necessarily. He's playing a lot better, though. 10 home runs this year. He's got an 809 OPS. His OPS is like the same as Paul Goldschmidt's. So my thought on that is, yeah, you don't sign Contreras if you knew Kisner could be this guy offensively because I think Kisner is the superior pitcher handler. I don't know if he's like defensively people say, well, his his metrics say he's no good. Whatever. I think Kisner's a solid catcher, and I think the, the pitchers trust him. So I think he brings a lot of value to the Cardinals. There isn't a world in which I would trade him this offseason. He would be on my team for 2024. Um, I don't know if that's true of the Cardinals. Because they do have Yvonne Herrera to think about. You are getting into where you'll have to start paying Andrew Kisner a little bit more. He's ARB eligible. But for me, he, there is value in what he brings. And it's not, like on the field, in the clubhouse, I think all of that's very real. And I would have him on the team if it were my decision. What that means about how you handle catcher and what you do with Contreras, I, I don't know. I wouldn't have signed Contreras. Like if you go back and look at my article, I, I wrote the article about trade candidates or uh, catcher candidates. And I ranked them. I think I had like five or six guys on a list for KMOV. And Contreras was the bottom of my list because this is kind of what I foresaw. I just thought it would take a couple of years for it to happen where his defensive decline would take place and the Cardinals would be kind of stuck. Unfortunately, they're stuck in year one with what to do with him from a catcher perspective. He's been exactly the hitter everybody wanted him to be, and he should be credited for that. But like the the Cardinals tried to fit the square peg in the round hole with what their expectations were for the position and what they should have known he would bring. And that's where you're not getting 
maybe the exact roster fit that you were hoping to see, but I want to make sure I'm clear on this. Contreras has been everything offensively that you could have hoped for. The other part of it, though, is if you knew Kisner could be almost the same thing in fewer at-bats, albeit, but you wouldn't have you wouldn't have spent $87 million on that, but they thought they had a huge need at catcher, and so that's why they went out and, and made that decision that they did. Was it a little bit of a rash decision? Yeah, but I thought it was at the time, too. That's not to say anything negatively of Contreras, either. It's not his fault. He's a good player. He just the, the Cardinals, I think, their roster makeup would have been improved by massaging things a little bit differently. Kevin asks, is the front office feeling the pain yet, or will this season be dismissed as an anomaly until it happens again next spring? I don't know if they're feeling the pain because they know that they are safe, like Mo isn't being fired. So I don't know if pain is the right word. I mean, it's painful to be losing the way they are, but I think Mo really deep down, and I think he's talked about this a little bit, I think he really does believe, all right, I messed up. We messed up, and I have to do do a better job because the status quo is going to continue lowering, lowering, lowering. In past years, Mo has been very confident, always maybe you could say a little cocky, leaning on that that history and that record, the track record that's been so strong. And this year, he just there's nowhere to hide from what this is. And yeah, he still kind of sneaks in little ways to kind of soften the blow. Well, we've had a lot of injuries, World Baseball Classic, which, you know, you could say, well, why did they let everybody go to the World Baseball Classic? I think that ends up being a, a much larger conversation when you get into, like, that's that's a thing that had, had MLB's backing, and do you really want to be like the Yankees and tell all your players, no, you can't play? You know, I think it, it just, they underestimated how big of an impact that would have, but I don't think the Cardinals coaches were happy. I mean, it's not like they could look at it and go, well, yeah, it's great. See you when I see you. Like, you know, that's, it's just a challenge. It's not an excuse. And Ollie, when he talked about it, legitimately, people can hear me say, oh yeah, you say it's not an excuse, but that's what, that's when you know it's an excuse. No, he really, it's just human nature, right? Like you can be people about this and go, yeah, all right. I'll acknowledge that it was probably a challenge to not have your team during spring training. It's not something that he's leaning on and saying it, nobody should be mad about it because we had this really hard thing we had to deal with. That's not what anybody is saying. But Mo, when he brings it up, is is kind of like the laundry list of things that happened to him. Well, our outfielders didn't. We wanted Lars and Tyler O'Neill, and they were both injured the first half of the season at various times. And you know, we had uh, the, the pitching guys that we thought could pan out. They were either hurt or didn't pan out. Or we tried to go get guys in free agency, and they didn't want to come because we didn't have an obvious spot for them. And you know, the laundry list that he gives out. World Baseball Classics on that list. It's just a one of the bullet points. So he does. He kind of tries to soften the blow in t- at times when he talks about it. But there's no hiding from this record. So I think you can't operate if you really are, unless you're delusional. And I don't think he is. I think he knows that, like, you know, he, he likes himself and thinks he does a nice job historically and has been able to lean on that. So he can kind of pump his own pump his own tires with the track record. But you can't hide from this. So I think Mo is not going to dismiss this as an anomaly. In PR, in the way that he describes it, he'll be able to say why it was anomalous. But he also has said, yeah, we didn't get the pitching depth that we, you know, we hoped it would be. We had hope that it would be a certain way, and it wasn't, and we have to adjust. He has said any time that he was asked over the last couple of months, like, we know we have to do it differently. So I'm going to take him at his word. You may not as a Cardinal fan, and that's fine. You don't have to. Uh, the way I go about this and approach this, I'm in a very much... Show me state, right? It's Missouri. State motto, show me. All right, I hear what you're saying. I can accept it. Baseball's not life or death. I can accept watching one season of bad baseball in St. Louis. 
I won't accept another one, though, without demanding more change. So let me see it this offseason. Show me what you're going to do to fix it. I am totally willing to let him in the front office do that is my approach to covering this team because I think that's what's reasonable. You get one. I, I don't think you get more after that. I think that the change has to be made this offseason, and we have to see them go about it differently. I think they know that. Now it's just a matter of executing that and, and letting it play out. And then we evaluate it based on what actually happens, not what not what they say, what they actually do. That's the most fair way I can think to do it. Respecting the history, but also acknowledging what it is at this point. Back into the comments. I'm going to get to as many as I can here, although we're going a little bit longer than I wanted to. What else is new? Augie says something else is going on deep inside this team. I think we'll all find out at season's end what the issues are. I don't know if that's true. Like, even if there was stuff like off the record that I was aware of, I would at least be able to like go, oh yeah, I'm aware that this is going on. There's not, I can't think of anything that's like, oh yeah, this is the the silver bullet. Like, I don't really think I've got that. Maybe somebody does. I don't know. We'll see. Only Cards fan says, have me on and we can discuss how bad the 1903 team was. Yeah, it's timely. Uh, Jeff wants to know what kind of meat, what I call this performance and what temperature is it cooked at? Yeah, man, this is, uh, this is a, a an overcooked, well-done steak. No, no doubt about it. Kyle chiming in, the more we lose, the higher the draft pick. Think of it that way. I think some fans should think of it that way because it's true. Yeah, Matthew asked you about Andrew Kisner after the season. He says his played above a backup level could potentially slide into a starter role on another club next season if his current play keeps up. What's the return on him and maybe Dakota Hudson if both play the well the rest of the year? Yeah, I wouldn't trade Kisner. I would I would say he could be a good starter on this team, but you have to figure out what that looks like. And I'm not saying that answer is easy. And I don't think the return is going to be what people would hope it would be to like where it's worth it. He's worth more to the Cardinals, to me, on the team than in a trade. Dakota may be another story. He may be worth more in a trade than he is on the team. Unless he raises his, and I talked about him Sunday night on B-Shape Daily, so scroll back on your feed or on YouTube. Unless he raises that strikeout rate consistently and lowers the walk rate consistently, I don't know anything that an ERA could do for him the rest of the year that'll convince the Cardinals to put him in the rotation next year. I think he's got to show underlying improvements so that you're not just relying upon good luck and timely ground balls and things like that to get out of jams. All right, going to quickly scroll the rest of these questions and probably just do one or two more. I can come back to these for future episodes, but we did have quite a few of the questions, and I feel like we've covered a lot of uh, helicopter view, kind of 10,000-foot view stuff, which is good for this podcast. That was kind of what I was hoping to see. So let me just scroll real, real quick. Do we have anything else? I think I had I saw one from Soli that I wanted to address. Yeah, what's the best draft pick they can realistically end up with without finishing last in the NL? They need to preserve the streak of never finishing in last place in the NL. There is a lottery in place this year. I think if you're in the top three, you've got a chance at the first overall pick. So in theory, you could be up there without being in last. But I guess they couldn't do that because the Royals and A's are so bad. So I guess the answer would be fourth. Because I don't think if you're fourth or below, you have a chance at number one, the way they structure the lottery. But they can be in the top five without finishing in last overall or finishing fifth from the bottom because you can win with a, a lottery ball, I think is the way it works. But I have to I have to read into it a little bit more. I haven't gotten too tuned in on the exact way the lottery is going to work. 
scrolling the rest of the way, I think that is going to kind of wrap things up. I'm going to stop here. We're almost at 50 minutes trying to keep these timely because I know some people say, I don't have an hour to listen to you talk about the Cardinals. I'd rather it be shorter. So this would be one of the longer YouTube videos, one of the longer podcasts, at least until we get into the offseason. There's a lot of time to explore. I probably will do some longer ones then. But appreciate you guys for listening as always. That's going to wrap things up here. Make sure to hit that subscribe button on this video. Subscribe to the Brendan Schaefer St. Louis Cardinals writer YouTube channel. Subscribe to Be Shafe Daily. You guys have been awesome. Appreciate you once again. We'll talk to you next time on Be Shafe Daily. Peace.